This is the Daily Signal podcast for Wednesday, April 14th. I'm Rachel Del Judas. And I'm Virginia Allen. Questionable activity around Wisconsin's 2020 election has led one investigative reporter to launch a deep dive investigation into what transpired in the days and weeks leading up to the election. Matt Kittle, the executive director of Empower Wisconsin and an award-winning investigative reporter, joins the show to discuss what he has learned about the state's election and what far-left election groups were involved. Don't forget, if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to leave a review or a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. Now on to our top news. The Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine will likely be paused due to blood clots developing in people who received the shot. Six women within the age range of 18 and 48 developed blood clots after getting the shot, and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices will convene on Wednesday to go through the cases, and the Food and Drug Administration will be looking into the situation with the vaccine as well. In a joint statement, Peter Marks, a top FDA official, and Ann Suchant, a top CDC official, said, Until that process is complete, we are recommending a pause in the use of this vaccine out of an abundance of caution. The Biden administration announced Tuesday that all U.S. troops will be pulled out of Afghanistan by September 11th of this year. The troops were originally scheduled to be pulled out by May 1st, a deadline former President Donald Trump negotiated. A senior administration official said President Joe Biden sees no military solution to solve the current issues in Afghanistan, USA Today reported. Now the U.S. will focus all its attention on diplomatic solutions to find peace between the Taliban and Afghan government. President Biden is expected to formally announce the withdrawal during a speech at the White House on Wednesday. President Joe Biden promised unwavering commitment to Ukraine in a call with Russian President Vladimir Putin. In a statement, the White House said the president voiced our concerns over the sudden Russian military buildup in occupied Crimea and on Ukraine's borders and called on Russia to de-escalate tensions. President Biden reaffirmed his goal of building a stable and predictable relationship with Russia consistent with U.S. interests and proposed a summit meeting to a third country in the coming months to discuss the full range of issues facing the United States and Russia. The Brooklyn Center Minnesota police officer who shot Dante Wright, a 20-year-old African-American man, has resigned. In a letter announcing her resignation, Officer Kim Potter said, I am tendering my resignation from the Brooklyn Center Police Department effective immediately. I have loved every minute of being a police officer and serving this community to the best of my ability. But I believe it is in the best interest of the community, the department, and to my fellow officers if I resign immediately. It appears that Officer Potter intended to deploy her taser but accidentally fired her gun at Wright. Officer Porter is 48 years old and has been a police officer for 26 years. Brooklyn Center Police Chief Tim Gannon has also resigned from the police department. The state of Texas is suing President Joe Biden for repealing former President Donald Trump's Remain in Mexico policy. In the lawsuit that Texas filed with Missouri and the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of Texas, Texas wrote, per the Hill, 
The result of this arbitrary and capricious decision has been a huge surge of Central American migrants, including thousands of unaccompanied minors, passing through Mexico in order to advance meritless asylum claims at the U.S. border. South Carolina Governor Henry McMaster issued an executive order on Monday directing that the state's foster care system will not accept unaccompanied minors coming from the U.S.-Mexico border. The order explains that South Carolina's State Department of Social Services will not house children from the border in foster care or group homes. The executive order comes after Brian Leach, the head of South Carolina's Department of Social Services, told McMaster that the federal government was requesting to transport an unspecified number of migrant children to South Carolina's care facilities and foster homes. McMaster responded to Leach in a letter writing, South Carolina's children must always be given first priority for placement into foster care and the state's strained resources must be directed to addressing the needs of its children. The governor added that allowing the federal government to place an unlimited number of unaccompanied migrant children into our state's child welfare system for an unspecified length of time is an unacceptable proposition per the Hill. Now stay tuned for my conversation with Matt Kittle as we discuss the questionable activity around Wisconsin's 2020 election. Conservative women, conservative feminists. It's true, we do exist. I'm Virginia Allen, and every Thursday morning on Problematic Women, Lauren Evans and I sort through the news to bring you stories and interviews that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women. That is women whose views and opinions are often excluded or mocked by those on the so-called feminist left. We talk about everything from pop culture to policy and politics. Search for Problematic Women wherever you get your podcasts. I am joined by Matt Kittle, the executive director of Empower Wisconsin and an award-winning investigative reporter. Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So before we jump in and talk about Wisconsin's 2020 election and all the investigative reporting you're doing on that subject, I would love for you just to share a little bit about Empower Wisconsin and the mission that you all have there. You bet. Yeah. Uh, Empower Wisconsin is a uh, conservative news organization. We're based in Madison, Wisconsin. So we're in the heart of the, the liberal maelstrom. <laughs> and, um, let's just say on the east side of Madison, where um, I lived for you know nearly a decade now, uh, not a lot of uh, you know conservative lawmakers signs up during election season. It's a very active place. Of course, Wisconsin is a very active place, and so uh, we like to uh, consider ourselves as uh, the headquarters for conservative news, thought, and action. I also uh, am executive director of Wisconsin Spotlight, which is our investigative arm. That's where you'll find a lot of our records. And um, I'll tell you, we've we've, uh, been able to obtain a lot of records, thankfully, uh, some good sources and just some good luck over the last uh, several weeks involving what uh, clearly has uh, become an election scandal in Green Bay and it looks like uh, across the state of Wisconsin. 
Yeah, so let's go ahead and jump into talking a little bit about that. Wisconsin's 2020 election was very close. In 2016, the state went for Trump. And then in 2020, the election results show that Biden won 49.6% of the vote and Trump won 48.9% of the vote. So you've been taking a really close look at what happened during this election. What kind of made you initially think, you know, I need to look at this a little closer. Something is not quite sitting right. Yeah, sure. Well, it started really um, before the election. A lot of questions in Wisconsin. Obviously, Wisconsin was a battleground state in 2020, just as it was in 2016. And we saw a lot of activity um, in the Democratic strongholds of Madison and Milwaukee in particular, but we saw everything from uh, kind of uh, vote harvesting, community drives, sorts of things in in Madison. Um, And then, um, you know, some of these other things that the rest of the the country was experiencing, um, a huge, massive uptick in uh, voting at home and absentee ballots. And um, a lot of questions were raised at that time. Of course, then on Election Day, many more questions surfaced. And then as um, Wisconsin was one of the states targeted in recounts, particularly in Madison and Milwaukee, a lot of questions came up from observers, uh, both on election night and during the recounts, about how things were handled in places like Milwaukee and Madison. But it wasn't until... Well, I would say early March that we started to get an indication from sources that things were worse than thought at first, particularly in Green Bay, Wisconsin, where there had been some real concerns about these third party groups that were funded by Facebook CEO and founder Mark Zuckerberg to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars and what those third party groups indeed were doing in places like Green Bay. Hmm. So let's unpack a little bit about what happened in Green Bay. You've been writing some great pieces on this. Uh, You recently published a piece uh, in the Wisconsin Spotlight, and you explain that a Democratic operative was, quote, given access to hidden identifiers for the Internet network at the hotel convention center where ballots were counted. This is in Green Bay. So tell us a little bit about who this Democratic operative is is and what access he received at the Green Bay Convention Center where ballots were counted. Sure. Uh, Michael Spitzer Rubenstein is the name of the longtime Democratic operative who uh, has spent the past several years working in uh, voting activism roles, particularly on the tech ends of these things. He was the Wisconsin lead for the National Vote at Home Institute. That is one of many left-leaning groups that were in this massive network from the Center of Tech and Civic Life, CTCL, which was the group that got $350 million in funding from Mark Zuckerberg uh, beginning in June, I believe, of last year. And uh, that money was to go originally, and it did, to you know, the largest cities in the country, particularly in battleground states. In Wisconsin, 
the what was known as the Wisconsin Five, Milwaukee, Madison, Green Bay, Kenosha, and Racine, received a total of, uh, well, we're actually, we thought it was $6.3 million. What we're learning now is that it was significantly more than that, at least from uh, what we've been able to tally, it's north of $8 million at this point. Mm-hmm. But we, we believe there may be more money. Well, Switzer Rubenstein was, was uh, basically a partner in um, CTCL's network. And the funding, I think is important to note, the grant funding came with uh, clawback provisions, basically a lot of strings attached that said, if you don't follow you know, the terms of this contract, we can take this money back from you. For cash-strapped election um, agencies and uh, city clerks in Wisconsin, it was very enticing, this money. In some cases, like in Green Bay, it more than um, quadrupled their amount of election funding that they received in taxpayer uh, funds. So this was a lot of money, and it, it made a huge impact. Spitzer Rubenstein came in. And he was integrally involved. I think there's some evidence to suggest that he infiltrated uh, a lot of the election administration that went on. He was doing everything and other groups that he was working with, doing everything from uh, communications and get out the vote, uh, PSAs and promos, to actually curing the ballots. We have emails showing him offering to do this in Green Bay. But thankfully... um, I think one could say the clerk, now the former clerk in Green Bay, Chris Teske, at every turn um, was saying there is a problem here. This doesn't seem to be um, within the confines of the law. She grew so frustrated and so um, concerned about what was going on that she eventually resigned. But we have a number of emails showing that frustration and the concerns about the uh, how the election was being handled from both the liberal mayor and his office in Green Bay and these liberal organizations, outside groups funded by Mark Zuckerberg that, that really were doing things that arguably they should not have been doing. So let's talk a little bit more about that. I mean, I think when when you kind of hear of these things and you hear of these large donations, obviously we're very familiar with that term, you know, follow the money. Uh, so how how are you all doing that? And what are you learning as you investigate these large sums of money that Zuckerberg gave and how that potentially influenced the Wisconsin election? Yeah. Um, again, we're seeing the money, at least according to the emails that we've obtained through um, Green Bay uh, and also the Wisconsin Elections Commission. That's the state regulator for elections. Uh, we've obtained emails uh, showing you know, the connections between Milwaukee and Green Bay, the Wisconsin Five in general. We know that uh, the city of Racine, for instance, led by a very far left mayor, Corey Mason, they received tens of thousands of dollars, as I understand it, up front to go after these these grant monies and uh, be the lead, if you will, for the Wisconsin Five. And again, we have uh, these five cities receiving, you know, just a massive amount of money 
to do everything from, you know, buy election equipment to hire poll workers. What we found as well is that these groups, these outside groups, were responsible for helping locate poll workers for places like Milwaukee and Green Bay. We know in Milwaukee that they were using this funding to pay for hazard pay, if you will, significantly higher for poll workers. But they were using poll workers recruited from the SEIU and other local unions and the League of Women Voters and these left-leaning groups that create some you know, serious questions about the handling of absentee ballots and the administration of the election in the state's largest city in general. Well, Fitzer Rubenstein, the the lead for the National Voter at Home Institute in Wisconsin, he received an email from Trent Jameson, director of event technology at Green Bay's Hyatt Regency and Kaya Convention Center, uh, where the ballots were to be counted. This was shortly before the election. I want to um, read this email that you all acquired. Now, in the email, it refers to an SSID, essentially a Wi-Fi network, um, more or less. But the email says one SSID will be hidden and it's 2020 vote. There will be no password or splash page for this one. And it should only be used for the sensitive machines that need to be connected to the Internet. So first off, why would a Wi-Fi network or SSID need to be hidden and only available for Spencer Rubenstein, and then uh, what exactly is meant by sensitive machines? Uh, Very good questions. Um, And those are questions that we put to the Green Bay mayor's office uh, and to uh, officials who should have knowledge of that. They have not returned any of our requests for comments. Mm -hmm. Now, in talking with tech people and experts on this subject, really what you have here is it's the SS... IDs, you know, are are basically when you hit your laptop and, you know, all of those area networks pop up that you can click into and and be a part of. Well, in this case, you would obviously want some, you know, security on that uh, and to keep that away from those who could, you know, um, come in and and may not have the the best designs on, on access. The question is, why does an outside um, individual from a left-leaning group have access to these things? And the sensitive machines, um, a lot of folks are concerned about, were the sensitive machines that involve voting. We know that Spitzer Rubenstein had uh, access to live-time vote numbers. And uh, again, the question keeps coming up, why? This is also a gentleman who was given the keys to the KI Center um, room where the absentee ballots were kept. The question again is why? And state lawmakers are, are asking those questions related to his access to technology on election night, as well as his access to absentee ballots in the days leading up to and on election night. So he was present. He was there the night that ballots were being counted, the the night of the election. He was at that convention center. 
Yeah, that is that is correct. And we have emails uh, showing him in these rooms. We have contracts that say he received four of the five keys to these areas that had, you know, the the ballots and the equipment and all of this stuff. And he's in there by himself uh, talking to a a Green Bay official um, in this email trying to get information on where ballot boxes should be placed and all of these sorts of things. Now, election observers on election night raised questions about this gentleman and why he was present at Central Count, where all of the ballots were counted on election night. And uh, eventually he was asked by the city to leave, which is curious because it was Mayor Eric Gengrich, his uh, chief of staff and uh, city officials who had this guy in there in the first place. And this was the guy who was making up basically the program and how things would run on election night. Wow. How did you all get access to these emails? I mean, these, this is really critical information that's now coming out to the public. Yeah. Um, you know, through sources that uh, obviously we can't uh, talk about at this point, but there are some sources that um, we need to talk about and and uh, and thank because without their persistence, I don't I don't think this story gets told. State Representative Shea Sortwell, uh, a Republican from the Green Bay area, uh, shortly after the election, had filed an open records request along with uh, State Representative Ron Tussler. They are uh, were members of the Wisconsin Assembly Election Committee. Um, also, we have received um, emails, a number of other communications from individual citizens in Green Bay who were very concerned about what took place on election night. And it's because of their actions that we were able to obtain some very key information surrounding what happened in Green Bay. We also filed a number of uh, open records requests, and we have many out as well. We, uh, we filed an open records request to get the information from the Wisconsin Elections Commission, for instance, which shows the administrator of that regulator uh, not only um, enthusiastic about the work of Michael Spitzer Rubenstein, but promoting it to cities in Wisconsin, which raised some serious questions, as was noted uh, this week in a complaint that was filed with the Wisconsin Elections Commission. Hmm. And is that, I mean, is there any sort of precedent for a non-election official having the kind of involvement um, that Spitzer Rubenstein did? Unprecedented is the, the word that best describes all of this. And that's problematic. It's problematic for a couple of reasons. It's problematic because um, do we want third party groups, whether they're conservative or liberal, involved in the administration of our elections? But more so, it's problematic because there really aren't any laws in this area. And that's what we see now after the investigative reporting, after the emails have been released, we're uh, seeing the state legislature now saying we need to address this because we cannot have this sort of thing continue to happen. It is a huge integrity, voter integrity question. It puts our the the integrity, it puts transparency and election, the, just the concept of election fairness 
in doubt. And that's the last thing that we need, especially after what happened in November of 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to talk a little bit more about that investigation in just a minute. But first, let's go back to you had mentioned uh, Green Bay City Clerk Chris Teske earlier. Let's chat a little bit about her. Now, she's a former city clerk. She resigned at the end of 2020. On August 26, 2020, she sent an email to her boss and she wrote this. There is one more thing I want to say. If I am ever asked to do anything against the law, the answer will be no, in all caps. So ultimately, Teske resigns. Uh, what do we know about her and what she was being asked to do that made her uncomfortable? Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a striking email among many other striking emails. That, that may be the most striking, but what we see in her emails, and there are many because she is the clerk for the city of Green Bay, and that's a huge issue here. And that, that is at the, the center of litigation that um, is playing out and I think will continue to play out for the next several months in this state. The clerk under the Constitution is the election official in Wisconsin. Uh, there are two entities that are in charge of responsible for elections in Wisconsin. One is the Wisconsin Elections Commission. They have broad state oversight. The other are the municipal clerks that run the elections. And what we see in these emails is a clerk who is growing increasingly frustrated by the constant meddling and the bullying of the mayor his chief of staff, Celestine Jeffries, who is in many of these emails, and the point of, of real concern about not only you know, her involvement, the mayor's involvement, the city's involvement, but these third-party groups, Spitzer Rubenstein. We have an email where she's telling um, her boss, the uh, finance director for the city of Green Bay, listen, we, we can't have these third-party groups, particularly this individual, in the clerk's office counting or looking over ballots. And they're actually saying this at this time. You know, she raises the concern because of COVID, but also she notes we're hearing a lot about from the, you know, from folks outside uh, who have raised questions about CTCL that this is a not a nonpartisan group, that this is a left-leaning group, and that's making us look bad. So she repeatedly raises these questions, and she grows more and more frustrated by the system. Um, eventually, on October 22nd of 2020, just days before the election, she says enough is enough. She goes on family medical leave, and then by the end of the year, she resigns her position. Before she did that, though, she filed a complaint um, a couple of months before in October, and she alleged um, workplace harassment, a hostile work environment, and a lot of it had to do with a liberal mayor in Green Bay, his staff, and what they were allowing these third-party groups to do in basically taking over her office. And that mm -hmm. gets back to the original point is you, you just cannot have – Anybody, not even not even Zuckerberg-funded groups, we can't have the mayor take over the operations of, of elections. Yeah, 
So then speaking of the investigation, the Wisconsin Assembly Campaign and Elections Committee, they're taking action to investigate what happened. Are are you pleased with kind of how this investigation is looking so far? Do you think the right steps are being taken? Does more need to be done? Yeah, I think um, I'll, I'll give uh, a lot of credit to Janelle Branch and state representative who is chair of the Assembly election campaign and elections committee she's already held two hearings she um one of the hearings included the administrator for wisconsin elections commission having to explain uh some of these very concerning things we saw from the top at uh, wisconsin uh, at the wisconsin election commission um they've also the republican controlled legislature in wisconsin has now taken the step that they haven't taken in decades. I think this actually is something they haven't done since the 50s or 60s. They've given this committee subpoena power to go after documents and to compel um, witnesses to testify under oath, Um, just as we see so often in the halls of Congress. We're seeing that now for the first time in a long time in Wisconsin. And I think that is a very crucial tool to get to the bottom of this mess in Green Bay. And quite frankly, uh, in Milwaukee and Madison, Racine, Kenosha, and wherever else, CTCL has left its footprints. Yeah. So what plans do you and Empower Wisconsin have moving forward? Are, are you all planning on you know, really continuing to investigate this situation and keep calling for transparency? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we never allege in any of our reporting that uh, there was voter fraud or, you know, election fraud. What we are saying is look at the emails, mm-hmm. look at the documents. And what those emails and documents are showing really is a pattern of, of concern that if there, there wasn't voter fraud, if there wasn't election fraud, there certainly was the opportunity presented. And there certainly is a, well, a bad smell uh, yeah. coming out of all of this. It just does not pass the smell test. But this is just the tip of the iceberg. We will, like I said, we we have uh, numerous open records requests into these municipalities in Wisconsin. Um, And we're hearing from, you know how it goes with investigations. I know the Daily Signal has the same experience. Once you start, um, you know, exposing some of these areas, then other people step forward and say, hey, I have some information. Mm-hmm. And so we're vetting through that information. We're going through that and, and we will indeed continue to follow this story. Yeah. Well, we've been so pleased to carry some of your work, Matt, on at, at the Daily Signal on this subject. It's so, so critical. Um, tell our listeners how they can keep up with you, follow you on Twitter and really uh, keep up with with the critical work that you're doing on this issue. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can find us online at uh, empowerwisconsin.org and at wisconsinspotlight.com. As I said, Wisconsin Spotlight is where we have um, the vast majority of the records we've uncovered and we'll continue to to put there as well. You can also find us on uh, Facebook and uh, Twitter. 
And uh, if you're so interested, you can uh, sign up for our daily and weekly mailings too. Wonderful. Matt, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. I appreciate uh, the time to shed some light on this very important issue. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to the Daily Signal podcast. You can find the Daily Signal podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Please be sure to leave us a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with you all tomorrow. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Kate Trinko and Rachel Del Judas. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.